On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Asia's Alpha, Astra, and a little bit of Aqua. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands, album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this episode of, of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Paul Zotter and Ken Gregory as we continue to discuss the first part of the Asia catalog, continuing on to Alpha and Astra and talking just a little bit about Aqua. So if we move then on to Asia's second album, titled Alpha, released in 1983, so these guys weren't wasting any time. Wow. Also produced by Mike Stone, also released on Geffen, and featuring the exact same lineup, John Wetton, Jeff Down, Steve Howe, and Carl Palmer. Alpha is the second studio album by the British rock band Asia, released in 1983. It was certified platinum in the United States, eventually selling close to 2 million copies. Released one year before the departure of guitarist Steve Howe, Alpha was the last album with the band's original lineup until 2008's Phoenix, after the original members reunited in 2006, and the last album with Howe until Aqua in 1992. So there you go. Yeah, man. Tracks include Don't Cry, The Smile Has Left Your Eyes, Never in a Million Years, My Own Time, I'll Do What I Want, The Heat Goes On, Eye to Eye, The Last to Know, Midnight Sun, and Open Your Eyes. I so, think- go ahead, Joe, sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, you know, the album opens up with, with Don't Cry, which is, again, a, a great example of one of these sort of anthemy type songs that that Asia seems to like to write. Yeah. And, you know, it's so funny. It has this amazingly dramatic opening, right? With... Um, I love the keyboard sound, Ken, and then maybe this is where you're starting to check out and this 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 line this melody line i i have 13 i don't know if i don't know if i was playing guitar yet or not but this song definitely made me want to it's so the, the best part of it though is is this right here it's a hook you know it's, it's like this huge dramatic and it's and it's just like this boom tap you know, sing songy kind of, and um, and I and I love the song. I, I confess, you know, I I did not, I haven't listened to this song in years. But yet, when we when we were talking about sitting down to talk about um, Asia, I, I didn't have to listen to this song because the, it, it is just ingrained into my brain. Um, <laughs> it's still there, huh? It, it, that 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 dramatic ending and even the video there's like a video where he's like traveling the world 
to try to find whatever and he finds this woman and he finally gets to her and she like pushes him into the water or whatever like that is just classic stuff yeah. classic 80s you know i i don't know i, I don't want to say that i've never seen an asia video but i don't recall ever seeing an asia video i should definitely look into that i bet that's uh, really gonna that needs to be remedied almost immediately <laughs> oh, the, the heat goes on track five they lose me completely as soon as they hit that the heat goes on it, it's like what were they thinking with that title yeah so th th that's where the, the 80s you said some of this was timeless that's where <laughs> oh my god this is just stuck in the 80s <laughs> And, and, yeah, I, okay. I, I I would agree that that Alpha is perhaps a lot more dated than Asia. Um, I, I don't know. I just that first album gets me. I, it's it's interesting though, and you talk about the the whole boom tap thing because, and again, I I understand that Asia was sort of created with a, a commercial slant in mind and everything else. But I have to say that throughout all of this, I find Carl Palmer to be somewhat unremarkable. Oh, yeah, he's boring as hell. Which surprised me. You know, again, when you're talking about a, a prog rock supergroup, you would expect something, you know, I mean, he's not, um, he's not Nick Mason boring, but he's, yeah, there's not a whole lot going on there. I think he brought it pretty good on time, time and time again. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I think, you know, it's a pop, it's they wanted to make pop music. And I think, you know, I don't think, I don't think he computed pop music to technical brilliance. Or maybe Mike Stone was just going, no, Carl, boom, <laughs> yeah. tap. Boom, tap. Yeah. And did you get this on vinyl, Paul? Uh, I've never owned this album. I've only I've only ended up uh, streaming it. I, I definitely spent probably a Friday night sitting in my room with my cassette recorder ready to go when they played it, you know, and hit record. And then once I had it, you know, I was I was good. You know what else uh, for Don't Cry? You know what else is interesting about Don't Cry? This is like the middle school days, and um, I don't know if you guys remember Andy Boogle or not, but he oh, lived sure. in my neighborhood. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and he played piano, and um, you know he bought the music for this, and uh, I would all I would like literally walk up to his house just to hear him play this song, because um, it was just it was great. Loved it, loved it. Really? Yeah, yeah. All right, let's talk about the smile has left your eyes. Power ballad. Yeah, you know, Wedden seems to like the the power ballad. There's one on Phoenix that has really resonated with me recently. Um, you know, I, I think you know, here again, a lot of of Wetton is, in a lot of ways, he's he's kind of like the anti John Anderson in that you know what he's singing about. Um, it's 
you know, you understand the subject matter. It's not necessarily overly cerebral. And, you know, it, I think that all fits in with, with what they were going for um, with this. And, you know, I, I don't have a problem with it. Paul? Was, was, was this like the start of the power ballad thing? Or, I mean, is this one of the earliest examples or was there some before? There had to be some like in the late 70s, I would think. Oh, this is all post um, uh, Open Arms by Journey. The power oh, ballad. There you go. Was there. I I I am gonna I'm gonna enjoy your banter on this, guys. I just well, um, I, 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 wait. <laughs> when I hear like 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 power ballad, rock power ballad, I'm thinking 1975 Nazareth. Love hurts. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, that, that that's your your roots rock of the power ballad, I think. So, so Ken, you you made mention that you know on this album, John changed his his sort of vocal approach, and it didn't really work for you very much. I mean, oh, he does a great job. I think he's just singing higher in his range, and it's just a little thinner. Uh, you know, and, and and maybe he was just singing a lot, and he just that's that's where his voice was. I'm sure I don't know. You know what I'm saying, Paul? Like like when the dude's just like, you know, maybe he didn't have so much of the balls to go with that week he went in the studio and he just worked with what he had, you know? Yeah, I mean it's 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 funny. And I and I don't I don't know that I've never thought about it before. And uh you, you know, I, I'm I'm sort of torn because you know, this at this point in Asia, I'm figuring, you know, based on the revelations that that this was all contrived to be popular music, you know, I I don't even know that I even like I just question if they said, Oh well, we're just gonna produce it this way, let's jam the key up or whatever. Um because we want it, you know, we want it to be a hip hipper. I don't know, for the we want the girls to sing it. I don't know. Um yeah. so there's an interesting aspect of this that I, I had I wasn't aware of, um, but I came across sort of again in in preparing for this, and that is this idea. Um, you know, it, I knew that Steve Howe left Asia after Alpha, um, but I figured you know Steve had better things to do. What I hadn't realized was that after Alpha. Um, Wetton had left the band and wouldn't come back until Steve was gone. And John and Steve didn't talk for many years. I don't, I don't know how far, how how soon before two thousand six that they sort of repaired that bridge. But you know, Steve even mentioned it in one of the interviews that I was talking about. You know how, you know he said. You know, something along the lines of, oh, well, you know, John and I started writing and we were great friends and it was wonderful. And, and you know, we didn't speak for many, many years, but we're great friends again and it's all right. So, you know, whatever happened there must have been, you know, serious. 
And, and I've made the the argument that Steve Howe must be the greatest guy in the world because everyone seems to want to work with him. So the question that I have is, you know, is there anything in terms of, you know, the song structure, the playing, you know, anything in Alpha that, you know, suggests that there was this sort of tension between John and Steve? I mean, did, was Steve doing anything fundamentally different? on Alpha than he did on the first album, or, you know. I, yeah, I, so, so, so when was the, 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 the thing between Steve, what, it was after the second album? It was after the second album, yes. Okay, because, because what's even more surprising to me is I give credit to ultimateclassicrock.com for this amazing piece here. But Wetton was fired for like a six-month period, and they brought in uh, Greg Lake, and Greg Lake did a big show with a teleprompter. Yes, that's true. So Wetton was said to be egotistical. I mean, he did write most of the stuff, and it did very well. Uh, apparently, he was a huge drinker at the time, and people were annoyed with him, management in particular. And they thought they could just boot him and uh, put Greg Lake in there. But Lake didn't feel, you know, comfortable for that long. It's just an amazing story. Like, like It really is. They, the, the corporate people fired the front man. That's insane. <laughs> I mean, and thank goodness Lake didn't record an album because I think that the critics just would have, you know, slaughtered him. Just, you know... Yeah, so so when you when you talk about them getting back together in a few years to record Astra, you know, you you obviously had two choices. One, you keep the guitarist and have a different frontman, or you bring the frontman back and you have a different guitarist, which is ultimately the way they decided to go. Yeah, much and, easier. And and it's, you know, it's I I have the impression that neither one of you has listened to Astra much, if at all. I haven't. Oh, I did. I did. It, it was. It was uh, maybe a month ago. Yeah, but I did. I mean, it. It, it's, it sounded very pop to me. Right, and 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 that's exactly where I was going to go. So, if we segue into Astra, then, and just to give the the lead in, it was released in 1985, produced by Mike Stone and Jeff Downs. Again, released on Geffen. Um, had John Wetton, Jeff Downs, and Carl Palmer, but now Mandy Meyer steps in and takes over the guitars. And you're absolutely right, Ken. You know, while the rest of the, the structure is there, and I think, you know, a lot of the continuity comes from, from Jeff's playing and John singing, the guitars are just totally different. And again, I think it speaks to sort of the... Uh, is sophistication the right word for what Steve does? I, I, I don't know, but Mandy Meyer clearly didn't have that. Mm. And, and I think, you know, Astra suffers from that. But, you know, besides, besides the, the, the accounts of, you know, Wetton leaving, and like I said, I had read somewhere not too long ago that, that Wetton refused to come back until Hal was gone. You know, that's as much as I know, but 
I, I don't see anything musically in Alpha to suggest that, you know, Steve was doing something different or out of left field or in any way working counter to or trying to overshadow John. I mean, it just doesn't seem to be Steve's style. I, I don't know. It, it's interesting. And and given what they got with, with Mandy Meyer, you know, I I think it's not it's not nearly as powerful. Um you know, and if, if you look, you know, if you look at Astra, I think it opens with Go, which is, I, I think Go's a, a fun track. I, I dig it. Um, Voice of America is one of those things where it's, it's, it's really hooky, but it works. And then you get to, like, Rock and Roll Dream, and you're like, what? What are you guys talking about? Really? I mean, it's, it's. It's silly to the point where even I have to say that it's silly. Um, you know, and, and like Countdown to Zero is, you know, again, they're, they're taking this sort of anti-war anthem to, to the extreme. And, I mean, so there's, there's a repeat of a lot of maybe some of the themes from the earlier albums, but it, it's not nearly as powerful as the earlier albums. And so I guess after that, things didn't go so well. Oh, they weren't selling albums at that point? No. And, and um, yeah, so it was the final studio album, excluding the half studio, half compilation album, Then and Now, to feature um, John Wetton until 2008's Phoenix. So I skipped over Then and Now because I didn't really want to concern myself with it. And I really wanted to to, to touch briefly on Aqua. So really? Aqua, yeah, so Aqua was released in 92, produced by Jeff Downs, released on Inside Out Music and Great Pyramid Records. And it's interesting because it had Jeff Downs and Carl Palmer. Um, and if you look at the, at the liner notes, Al Petrelli is, is really the guitarist. And Steve Howe plays some guitar on one, two, three, four, five, six, six of the, the tracks. And it's, I think he's credited in the liner notes really as playing acoustic guitar. So, so this Al Petrelli is, is really playing all the guitar. And Steve, you know, adds in some very, very tasteful acoustic guitar. And then, of course, the big difference is this, this guy, John Payne, our new frontman. Um, with lead vocals and bass guitar. And so basically, you know, Jeff Downs met John Payne and decided to sort of reform Asia. And, you know, John Payne is a different cat altogether. Um, everything about the John Payne Asia is so much more melodramatic. Um, and in certain ways it can be tough to take because it's it's not John Wetton and it's not designed necessarily to be, I think, you know, the commercial prog rock powerhouse that Asia originally was. That being said, there's something about John Payne Asia that I do respond to. I know that it's a... 
oh, it's it's a lesser incarnation in a lot of ways. Um, but it's you know there's there's still enough there to be interesting. And I just you know I find it interesting. Now, if you read the blurb, it suggests that. Steve Howe and Carl Palmer were sort of roped into this to lend legitimacy. Oh, really? To, yeah, to to this sort of Asia reboot. And they both ended up leaving shortly after. Given the way it's presented in the in the actual liner notes for the album, you know, you I never got the impression that Steve Howe was a full-time member of this band. It's almost like they were recording and Jeff says, hey, Steve, why don't you come down and, and lay down some tracks for us? And the fact that they put him on the uh, in the in the in the booklet, you know, maybe that maybe they were just trying to add legitimacy to it. I don't know. But it, you know, and, and from here, Jeff Downs and John Payne went on to release a lot of albums under the Asian name together up until. Um, 2008, which of course led to the whole big legal thing, which is interesting given the current situation with um, having two yeses running around, because I think John Payne ended up winning the rights to run around and say Asia featuring John Payne or John Payne's Asia or something like that. Um, so he gets to use the name Asia, he just has to have his name in there with it as well. Huh. Um, yeah, so you know, and again, I, I don't want to go too deep into into Aqua because um, I know that's not really where you guys are. But I did want to just you know sort of talk about how Jeff rebooted Asia into something that was related but entirely different, and he ended up you know sort of carrying that on, you know, for you know the next however many years he did that was it sixteen. The funny thing is that Asia exists now, right? With Downs, Palmer, Billy Sherwood, and Sam Coulson? Yeah, Billy Sherwood is in, like, every group in the world. So Billy Sherwood apparently, currently, is in Yes, he's in Asia, and he's in some group with Tony Kay. He, he's the only progressive rock bassist left. <laughs> really? He wasn't even wasn't even a basis to begin with right and i will say though that billy sherwood is is you know a pretty fine bassist as much as i hate to admit it uh the the dude's awesome and you know he is you know in the in the in the world of of music you know the people who are successful are the people who work their asses off and and this guy that guy's been working his ass off for decades and in, in large part behind the scenes, you know, and, you know, now he's everywhere. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. When I, when I was doing this research and that's when I discovered that he is, you know, now listed as being part of Asia, which just floored me. I was like, what, how does that happen? Um, so I guess, you know, Jeff and Billy are in both bands and, uh, and I have been, really interested to listen to his work with Tony K, but I haven't done that yet. We, we might need a, a Billy Sherwood episode, like a special episode on Billy Sherwood. And you're killing me, but you're probably right. 
I just I can't stand the guy. Come on, don't you ever watch his videos that he on the, the Yes tour? He's great. He's great, really. Well, his little uh, slice of life. Here's what we're doing. No, I I haven't watched them, and he needs a freaking haircut. Oh no! All right, let's not let's not get sidetracked. Sorry, I should. Look, I got nothing wrong with long hair. His just looks disheveled. But that's neither here nor there. Oh. And, and again, I do have to give him credit because, you know, not everyone could play Chris Squire the way he does. And it was interesting. So the Steve Howe, one of the Steve Howe interviews that I I um. I listened to it was fascinating because the guy was interviewing Steve about all his guitars that he tours with and you can just imagine Steve Howe going off on you know all of his guitars and I mean it, just the level of, of detail that he was going into was mind-boggling it was phenomenal and then he ended up basically just saying was it the Variax is that the the what I'll call yeah. the emulator guitar how, you know, nowadays he just uses that for a lot of things so that he doesn't have to, um, we're losing Ken, so that he doesn't have to bring ah. all these guitars out there. And and he said, you know, Billy basically does the same thing. Billy uses the technology to recreate Squire sounds while not playing a Rickenbacker, which, you know, even Steve said would maybe be a little disingenuous. Hmm. Yes, well... Hmm. Interesting. Well, I, sorry, I, I got into Billy Sherwood here. He, he he has a history of replacing dead guys. So he he replaced Squire and he replaced Wetton. So it's it's you know it's, well that's so, that's what happens when you're only fifty two years old in the uh, progressive rock world. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was gonna say, Paul, he he busts his ass for years just waiting for the guys to start dropping off. Oh, uh, well, you know, to be to be fair, he he played side by side with Chris Squire for what yes. at least twenty years, probably. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's funny how long this whole thing has gone on. All right, so I do want to kind of bring us home quickly here, and, and I wanted I want to touch on some of the the crossing of the family trees around asia because it's it just uh, it, this this part of it just juices me to no end and, and i want to start off with talking about what steve howe was doing in this in this era so steve howe goes from doing drama in 1980 to asia in 1982 and alpha in 1983 now in a parallel universe Apparently, in 1976, there was an attempt to put together a trio of Bill Bruford, Rick Wakeman, and John Wetton, which never went anywhere. In 80, there was apparently, as I, you know, this is what I read, so I don't know, but around 1980, when drama's being recorded, is when the Wetton, Wakeman, Palmer, Rabin thing tried to be put together. That didn't work out. Ken, you already mentioned that in 1983, when Wetton is kicked out of the band, Greg Lake comes in. That's amazing, yeah. 
which then Wetton comes back for Astra in 1985. Now, in 1986, Steve Howe has put together GTR with Steve Hackett of Genesis fame. But also, let's not forget one Jonathan Mover, who mm. spent a little bit of time in none other than Marillion. No. That's right. Go and check it out. He has a writing credit on Punch and Judy. Really? He was, after, after, after Mick Pointer left, Jonathan Mover joined the band for a little bit, did some writing, but left before they recorded Fugazi. Wow. Now here's where it gets really, really fun. GTR, and if you guys want to have some fun, watch the two GTR videos. Steve Howe is unrecognizable, and Steve Hackett wears the most outrageous clothes you could ever imagine. The singer, Max Bacon, I swear yeah. to God, the video director said, Max, we need you to act like Simon LeBon. Ah. And Max said, okay, that's what I'll do. So GTR releases one album, does one tour in 1986, Steve Hackett says, this isn't for me. Leaves. Steve Howe, attempting to keep the project going or maybe renaming it, recruits a guy by the name of Robert Berry. Now, Robert Berry went on in, I believe it was 88 or 89, to form the band Three with Keith Emerson and Carl Palmer. So you can see how the whole thing just kind of gets mixed up at this point it's spectacular i love it um you know everyone was sort of in in free flux at this point and hanging out with each other it was it's cool fascinating well yeah and you know i think i think in one of the interviews bill bruford mentions you know in the 70s that you know everybody knew each other you know everybody was basically you know, hanging in and around London, and and every and everybody knew everybody, and um, I think it's just continuing on, right? It's the same collective group of musicians that has has grown and become the, you know, when you know you need someone to fill in, you need someone to replace, you call up the guy that uh, that you know, um, and it, it becomes very incestuous, you know, based on all the family tree stuff. I happen to just be watching the GTR video for When the Heart Rules the Mind. And you're right, Joe. It's, 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 it's quite crazy. I, I mean, yeah. Steve doesn't look anything like himself at all. At He's least not Steve. And Max Bacon is totally doing, like, the, yeah, the sort yeah, of pop, the tough guy, side-by-side -side dance, snapping, yeah, kind of thing. Crazy. <laughs> it's It's funny. It really, really is. And the uh, Phil Spaulding, the bass player, cracks me up. Yeah. He's he's really getting into those backing vocals there. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it is interesting, though, Joe. It's, it's kind of cool to see how all, you know, all of these same players just intertwined and kind of worked with one another and did all these things. And, and you know, you see these, you know, they're all kind of in that same group. And, you know, you think about the middle of the 80s, what was going on. You, you know, you you watch the video of GTR, 
without the sound like I am right now. And they look like, you know, 80s pop guys, you know, except, yeah. well, you know, they kind of look a little old. But Max Bacon, they just look, he looks like, you're right, Duran Duran, and it could be anybody. And that's what was going on at this time. Like, the, everything was on MTV, and it was, like, all of this, like, just craziness, and hair metal was about to explode, you know, and these these guys are, I you know, I hate to say it like this, but, I, you know, I think at this point, they're all just trying to cash in, you know? Well, and, and put that in the frame of reference of when ABWH comes out. Remember, you know, so 90125 comes out, big hit. Um, big Janderator comes out, not so big a hit, and then John gets disgruntled, leaves, forms ABWH, and starts bashing this whole idea of, you know, making commercial music. Well, everyone that was in ABWH was doing that the entire time that he was doing it. Exactly. Yeah. You know? And really, he, ironically, he's the missing piece to all of this. Like, where is John Anderson while all of the Progressive rock heroes are cashing in. Yeah. So there you go. So I, you know, I think, you know, I, I, I know we didn't really go very deep into the full Asia catalog, um, but I do think it was important to have this sort of discussion because it really does, you know, I think sort of fill out the end of, of, you know, yes, um, with Steve Howe and everything else. And, and, you know, it kind of, in a lot of ways, it, it, it closes it out and it points to where we will pick up the yes story whenever we get back to it. Um, and, and where it went from here. But it's, like I said, one, one of the things that I've enjoyed most about this exercise is sort of seeing these threads and how it all fits together and, and putting these albums that we grew up with and, and that we've enjoyed so much sort of in a, in a broader context. It's, it's been really fun. Yeah, it is, it is cool. And you know what else is that as we hit some of these other bands like Genesis and, and Rush, like this really gives us an interesting context because all of these bands kind of pass through this time frame in different ways, and uh, and this is a good context to have established <laughs> the eighties vortex, yeah, <laughs> right? You know, but but some some bands did well in the eighties vortex. I think you know, I I I don't think Rush really lost their way until later than that, um, and. You know, again, Paul and I, we've kind of touched around this before, and we'll see exactly when we think they lost their way, but it was certainly was not in the 80s. Yes. That will be an interesting discussion for someday. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Any other last closing thoughts on Asia or the extended family tree through the, uh, the extended Steve Howe family tree? Through the oh, mid 1980s. Put, put it in in the context of 90125. What year was 90125? 1983. Really? Yes. So so. Uh, Astra no Alpha was the same year. Yes, exactly. Okay. Okay. But it's like wasn't yes almost bigger than. Asia, like once Unover Lonely Heart hit? 
I would imagine so, yes. And, and they had the legacy fans coming out. They, they had a couple of different age groups to pull fans from to fill their concerts. So I imagine, yes, did all right during that, that phase. They, they, they picked up you and Paula's fans. Well, they didn't get us until Big Generator. Um, oh. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I knew of Owner of Lonely Heart. I'd seen the video, but I hadn't. I, I It was... I think I was on board by the time Big Generator came out, but I mean that was a four-year hiatus. Um. Yeah, I mean I I really liked Nine Hundred One Two Five, but for me that was that was just one album in time. I had no sort of connection to the larger scheme of things. Where was Leave It? Leave It's on Nine Hundred One Two Five. Yeah, that's just an amazing song. And that's a ma- mostly a Trevor creation? Yes. Trevor and Trevor, the two Trevor. Yeah, it, exactly. And, and it's funny you bring that up because, you know, Alan White tells the story of, you know, how that was the, the first Yes song recorded with a drum machine. And you can tell when he tells that story that that idea kind of rankles him. And when you listen to it, sort of knowing what you know, that that song is very much Trevor Horn. And I forget if it was it, it was Trevor or Chris, but on the Yes Years video, one of them tells a story about that and how they just, you know, Trevor Horn couldn't, they couldn't get the, the drum sound right. And Trevor Horn said, well, let's just use the drum machine. And you know, the rest happens. And it's it's an example, though, of, you know, I think the genius that is Trevor Horn, because, you know, it yes, it uses a drum machine, but it uses it in such a powerful way that you don't even care. At least I don't care. Yeah, and I, and I think it, it changes a, uh, the, t- the time of the world, and it's finally the good news about having some of these you know, really good producers working with these artists because they're just getting the right sound, you know? And, you know, so it's a drum machine and yeah, that goes against, you know, our purest notions, but, you know, they're just getting the right song for the right, the right, um, song. Well, I mean, leave it in the live situation is just amazing. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I mean I think I only saw two yes related shows with you guys, but um, have you guys ever seen Leave It live? I mean I'm, I'm I'm banking on the YouTubes to have what I'm looking for, but it's great stuff. I don't know if I have. Uh, just on like that that uh, nine oh two one live video, I think. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. I know I've seen it on that on that video, but I don't know that I've ever seen them perform it like live with my own two eyeballs and ears in the in the hall. Yeah, that, that, that's got to be within my top ten yes songs. Leave it has a special place there. Well, and, and, you know, again, once we get back to it, um, 90125 is a singular album. Um, I think there's so much about that album that is just 
right. It, it really is a, a magical moment for completely different reasons than Close to the Edge was, but it's it's of the same caliber in a completely different sort of region of the world, so to speak. So yeah, I, I you know I don't think there's anything about nine hundred one two five that's not spectacular, and you know the fact and, and when you think about you know we were talking about when they recorded Close to the Edge and how they were doing it and they were literally you know composing songs physically by splicing tape together and and two minutes of this and four minutes of that and oh this is fun and and we'll tape some shit together as opposed to like what you were saying Paul with with the with the solid producer and and 9125 I think there's no way that that happens without Trevor Horn being there um you know ah. when you when you look at at Trevor Horn's body of work it's it's so obvious to see his imprint there and it was not sort of a happy accident like in in a lot of ways you hear the story that close to the edge was they're both right. spectacular but they were created in totally different ways yeah certainly that uh, that demo uh, of owner of a lonely heart certainly is evidence to that none of that would have happened <laughs> So yeah, when when we do get back into into yes, can you know that's going to be, you know, it's such a great way to get back into it. Um, you know, there's going to be some some twists and turns along after that, but certainly nine hundred one two five is is a a seminal album, and uh, can't wait to talk to talk about it. But we do have other things to get to first. Whether that's King's X or Rush, it uh, remains to be seen. Um, I, like I said, I'm, I'm anxious to talk about both of those. And, um, yeah, so we'll see. Nice. Gentlemen, another uh, another fine episode. I appreciate your, uh, your continued support. <laughs> awesome. so much for listening to this episode of progressive palaver we encourage your thoughts concerns questions comments whatever you may have um, please feel free to tweet us at progpala that's p-r-o-g-p-a-l-a you can email us our email address is progpala at gmail.com we are also available on facebook and instagram both of those as progressive palaver and we do have a youtube channel which you can also find by searching progressive palaver Progressive Palaver is, as always, available on both iTunes and Google Play. We are hosted on SoundCloud, and I would imagine that you can find us on any number of other apps or websites that allow you to find the podcast that you enjoy. So thank you very much for staying with us through this, um, this next part. Um, we are now going to be moving into King's X for a few episodes and cover that catalog before we move on to... Um, rush. So we look forward to having those discussions in the near future. <laughs>